So it was uh, June 6, 1944, at 6.30 in the morning. About that time, this picture was taken. The Allied forces stormed Normandy Beach. It was a battle that took three days, cost 10,000 lives. Over the next few weeks and few months, uh, eventually the Allied forces pushed the Germans off the north beach of France, pushed them out of the country of France, and ultimately pushed them back into Germany where they ultimately crumbled, and the Allies won. You see, these soldiers who were storming the beach, they had one goal in mind. They wanted to see Nazi power crumble. They wanted a Europe free from tyranny, free from Nazi rule. You see, they weren't secure, they weren't content to secure 300 yards of sand on a beach. They wanted the 3.9 million square miles of land in Europe. They wanted that completely cleansed of Nazis' rule. They wanted a Europe free of death, of pain, of mourning, of crying. Now, think about what this would mean for the Allies, a land free of Nazi rule. That would mean that flourishing could happen again. You see, people would begin to heal from those injustices that were committed by the Nazis against them. Families can get back to, to what they're doing, to being families, celebrating birthdays and holidays together, weddings. Think about the actual land. It would be cleared of dead bodies and that barbed wire and rusty tanks, and instead you'd have flourishing crops. You'd have clean water. You'd have thriving forests. Not to mention the effects on the economy. You know, now you've got new businesses starting up again. Life is getting back to normal. Free trade is starting to take place. You see, the Allies' view of the future empowered their actions on that beach. Their view of the future empowered their actions on that beach. You see, this example of Normandy Beach those forces storming the beach. This is just a small picture of what it means to live in God's world today as God's people. You see, the story of the Bible tells us that God's engaged in a battle. God is engaged in a war that's far more serious and has far greater implications than any of the previous wars combined. See, this is a war against sin, against death, against pain, against crying, and against mourning. See, it's a brutal battle. Over the course of the years, this has cost millions and even billions of lives. Today, this battle requires our blood, our sweat, our tears, a lot of times literally. But you see, God today, he's not just secure with a little beachhead. He doesn't want just 300 yards of sand. He doesn't even want 3.9 million square miles in Europe. He wants the entire You see, his ultimate goal is that sin and that death and that mourning and that pain and that crying would be completely gone from every corner of the globe. This is the future that the Bible talks about. This is what the Bible is thinking about when it talks about the restoration. Let's go back to Normandy Beach. Think about those soldiers. I wonder what tears they had on that beach. When I say tears, I mean maybe literal tears, but also frustrations, pains, regrets. As they were storming that 
storming that hill, as they were hiding behind those blockades, maybe even as they were dying in that wet sand, I wonder what their biggest regrets were. I wonder who was going through their mind as they were dying. Maybe they had a picture of them in their pocket. Who would they be missing most? What harsh words would they wish they could take back? What do they want to say to that one friend before they left? You know, I'm not sure. I don't know. But what I do know is that every single one of them had tears. What about for you? For us? And what are the, what are the tears that we are carrying? What baggage are we bringing in to this room right now? Why are we crying? Have you been bullied your entire life? Maybe you don't have one single example where somebody stood up for you. Did a family member just get diagnosed with cancer? Are you going through some sort of painful illness? Something that the doctors don't know about? Have you been the victim of racism? Has a family member been the victim of racism? And it's just so painful because it happens over and over and over again and nobody's listening, nothing's changing. What is it for you? Did you know that Jesus had tears? Jesus had tears. He knows what it's like to live on a brutal, chaotic beach. A couple examples. So in John chapter 11, John is a, a gospel that's, that's telling the story of Jesus. His, his friend Lazarus dies. It takes him a couple days to get there. And he goes and he finds the tomb. And he sees Lazarus. He knows in five minutes he's going to raise him from the dead. But you know what he does? He weeps. He actually cries. There's another place in, in Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 7. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications to God with loud cries and tears. You see, Jesus had tears. He knows what life is like now. And he had tears because he knew life now is not the way that it's supposed to be. There's not one person on the earth who would say that life is the way it's supposed to be. I've talked about my mom here before. Um, if you don't know, she's had uh, MS, which is multiple sclerosis, since I was in seventh grade for a long time. MS is a, uh, basically a, a degenerative disease where your body attacks the neurological pathways in your brain. And so a lot of times if you have MS, your legs stop working, you're in a wheelchair. Uh, for people like my mom, you just have no more memory. You're, you have long-term memory sometimes, but your short-term memory is just shot. She also has diabetes. If any of you have that in here, your blood sugar gets too low, so then you have to eat to get it back up, but then it gets too high, and it's just this constant up and down, up and down. You have to monitor what you eat. You have to take your blood four or five times a day to check your sugars. My mom has diabetes, too. So this Thanksgiving, um, we, we loaded up in the van, and we went to my mom's uh, place. She is in an assisted living center, so she can't live on her own because she can't take care of herself. Uh, she doesn't know how to drive, got her license taken away, can't use a cell phone. If she would go out, she would get lost. She wouldn't know where to go. So we picked her up, we went to Thanksgiving uh, to see the family, and that was, it was a good time. I was really glad for family to see her. But the nature of my day involved me following my mom around, making sure that she properly checked 
her blood sugars. You see, somebody has to come into her apartment four times a day to make sure she's doing it right. Make sure she changes the needles, because a lot of times she doesn't. She'll just use old, dirty needles. If she needs to give herself insulin, she'll forget. Don't get me started on what she doesn't care about eating. So a couple times, I literally had to pry potato chips out of my mom's hand, because she's just stuffing them in her face. It was like I I thought I was dealing with my four-year-old. She couldn't get a second piece of pumpkin pie. That's sad enough, but let alone on Thanksgiving. I mean, come on. I had to be the bad guy and stop my mom from getting a piece of pie because she doesn't know that she's not supposed to have it. That's not how it's supposed to be. At the end of the day, we, we, we dropped her off, and the lady who kind of takes care of my mom, uh, she handed me a piece of paper. It was a check. She said, hey, would you go get Christmas presents for your mom to you and Polly and your kids? Happy to do it. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. She's supposed to be able to buy Christmas presents. She's supposed to be able to go to the mall, know what to look for, wrap them herself, give them herself. But she can't do that. You know, I have, I have tears for my mom. And this is not the way it's supposed to be for my mom. God knows this. And God knows it's not the way it's supposed to be for you. Here's the good news, though. God is not content to abandon us on a chaotic beach here and now. He's not content to just leave those tears sitting in our eyes and streaking down our cheeks. He's not content. Instead, he is committed to restoring every corner of this earth. He's on a mission to get rid of all sin, all pain, all death, all mourning, all crying, all tears once and for all we get a description of what does this mean and what this looks like in the book of revelation now that is the last book in the bible it's written by john again same john from john 11 john one of the apostles and what he's doing is he is recording visions that the risen jesus has given him he's writing these down near the end of the book in chapter 21 john is describing what the story what the end of the story looks like. So we pick it up in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We learn three things about what the end of the story is going to look like. And the first one is that there's going to be a completely restored creation. Verse 1. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, this doesn't mean that God is just going to kick this current earth to the curb. He's not going to throw it in the trash can and start over with something new. That also does not mean that there will be no water in heaven. Okay? This, I, this idea of a sea is a metaphor just for the chaos and the destruction and the hurt and the pain that every person in every century has known at some point during. All that is going to be gone. 
But instead of starting over, he's going to take the earth out of the trash can. He's going to restore it. He's going to fix it. He's going to make it new again. He's going to go back to his original intent that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, uh, the idea of restoration and what the earth, what the actual physical earth will look like, I was, found some pictures. This is what it looks like now. You got people uh, in boats wading through trash. You've got companies that are dumping thousands of pounds of raw sewage into rivers. There's even a guy sitting there watching it. It's probably not his fault. He's just doing his job. You've got animal life that is affected in so many ways. You've got crops that are not producing crops. You've got famine and drought. This is not how it's supposed to be. Instead, crops are meant to grow. They're supposed to be green. They're supposed to be abundant. People are supposed to be able to eat. There's supposed to be beautiful rivers and waterfalls that we can look at and we go jump off of and ride canoes down if we're crazy. There's supposed to be flourishing ecosystems with beautiful animals. There's supposed to be happy elephants. This is the best picture I've ever seen. Happy elephants. It's the best. Look at how happy that guy is. Yeah. But, but here's the deal. Not only is the physical earth going to be restored, our actual flesh and blood and bones and bodies are going to be restored. Jesus is the best example. There's a place in the New Testament where Jesus is called the first fruits of all creation. That word first fruits, it means he's the first of what is to come. Think about it. Jesus died and he actually rose after he rose, he sat around and he had some fish with his disciples. This is the promise. This is what we have to look forward to. No more acid reflux. No more migraines. No more stitches. No more broken bones. No more torn ACLs. Who's blowing their ACL? That's my boy, J.E. Yep, you too. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> no more bruises. No more cancer. No more heart failure. No more death. Completely perfect physical, resurrected bodies living on a perfectly restored, abundant, fruitful, flourishing earth. Completely restored creation. The second thing we learn from these verses about the end of the story is that there is going to be a completely united people. Verse 2 says this, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. You see, when John says that phrase, a holy city, a new Jerusalem, he's talking about the entirety of the people of God from history past and into history of the future. Every single person who has ever lived from the time of Adam and Eve who has put their faith in God and their trust in God and who has longed for the end of the story will one day finally get to see it come true. Now, I just want to be honest. There's a lot of things about this and the end, and this united people that I don't know. Lots of questions, but there's some things that we for sure do know. We for sure know that this united people is going to include people from all time periods in the past. So there might be some knights in shining armor in heaven. 
There's going to be people from the Middle Ages. There's going to be people from the first century. There's going to be people from 1000 BC, even older. There might be people from the future. Might be spacemen in heaven. Who knows? I don't know. There's going to be people from every time period in history, though. There's also going to be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. It's going to be ethnically diverse like you couldn't believe. There's going to be Samaritans. There's going to be Gentiles. There's going to be Jews. There's going to be Kenyans and Japanese people and Caucasians and African Americans and Russians and Ukrainians. On and on it could go. It's going to be so diverse. And here's the best part. We're all united. We're not fighting over land. We're not fighting over money. We're not fighting over possessions. There's no racism. There's no favoritism based on the color of your skin. Instead, we're going to assume the best about the other person. We're going to want to hear what that person has to say. We're going to be charitable with people. We're going to play nice. We're going to share well. We're going to do what I tell my kids to do all the time. Don't hit your brother. Say you're sorry. We're going to to get along. Together, best of all, we're going to be united in our love and our devotion and our worship of Jesus, of King Jesus. This is going to happen forever and ever and ever, and it's never going to get old. The end of the story is just the beginning of the story. Completely united people. And lastly, at the end of the story, we will all have a completely restored relationship with God. Verses 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, the most important thing about the end of the story is not where it is, although that's important. It's not what we'll be doing, but that's important. But it's who's there. Who is there? If you're a Christian, God says that you're part of his people. He's going to live with us. He's going to be in physical proximity with us, dwelling with us. He's going to look at us and say, I want you. Come on, be with me. You're worth it. You belong to me. You are mine. How many of us have longed to hear that in our lives? You are mine. He's going to wipe away those tears of pain, of hurt, of injustice, of crying. And in the end, we're not going to want anything else. We're not going to be want to be anywhere else because God will be enough. We can rest. It's going to be great. So I mentioned earlier how the Allied soldiers' vision of the future it empowered their actions that day on June fourth on that chaotic beach. The same is true for us today. Our vision of the end of the story, it empowers our actions today on this chaotic beach in three main ways. Here's number one. Because God is going to restore creation tomorrow, we seek a restored creation today. That means we get involved in groups like Sustained Mizzou, groups that are committed to the earth flourishing. Maybe that means rather than get a disposable cup of coffee five times a day, We get our own coffee mug, a 
or bring an algae. Cut back on the waste. Pack your lunch in Tupperware, not in plastic bags. Maybe that means you go to Harmon's Jamaica this spring break. So the picture behind me is a picture of uh, the town called Harmon's that they go to. This is a picture taken after uh, the bauxite mining has taken place. Now, bauxite is mined and used in making aluminum. You'll notice, once the miners go in, do their thing, they leave the land completely ravaged. All the nutrients from the topsoil is gone. It's this nasty, hard, red, dirty mud and clay. Nobody can live on the land. If you've been there, you know. You had to throw your clothes away. Okay, but, but what this, this ministry down there, one by one, what they've done is they have started a greenhouse. They've been able to make their own produce. They plant peppers and tomatoes and all sorts of other things. And they, they harvest them and they take them to the coast and they sell them. And they bring money into the community. That's playing a part in restoring creation. That's how you could partner with, uh, with God now. That's how we live it out. So we seek a restored creation today. Second, because God is going to unite his people tomorrow, we strive for unity today. That means we forgive our roommate. We take the first step and apologize. We grab lunch with that person in our small group we don't know. We take the step of reaching out across a race and asking somebody to sit down and just hear what it's like to be a minority. Maybe if we're white and we have privilege, like we heard a couple weeks ago, last week, we try and listen to hear, hey, what would it look like for me to use my privilege to serve you, to give you a seat at the table? We strive for unity today because God is going to unite his people tomorrow. Last, certainly not least, God, because God will wipe away our tears tomorrow, we can endure the tears today. And we all have tears on this chaotic beach right now. Some are more serious than others. Some happen more frequently than others. But we've all got them in some form or another. But remember who else did. Jesus. Jesus had tears. He endured these tears. He endured the ultimate pain and the suffering and the death that we deserved. He went to that cross he died, but he didn't stay there. He rose. And because of that, we endure those tears. One last picture. This is what my mom looks like today. You know, I didn't mention this earlier, but my mom's a Christian. Today, she's enduring tears. She's got MS. She's got diabetes. She doesn't know how to care for her grandkids. She can't have adult conversations. But she's reaching. She's reaching for tomorrow when she's going to live on a perfectly restored earth with a perfectly restored body, brain stem, legs that work, bodies, sugars that regulate themselves in her body. She can remember things. She's going to be living among a completely united, diverse people. And best of all, she's going to dwell with God who's going to wipe those tears away. And then she's going to be able to eat all the pumpkin pie she wants. She's going to be able to buy as many Christmas presents as she wants and spoil her grandkids. This is a picture of us today. 
This is what it looks like on this chaotic beach. We are enduring tears right now. It's hard. It's painful, I know. But we're reaching. We're reaching for tomorrow. We can do that because of Jesus. As the worship team comes up, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you with tears in our eyes, frustrations, hardships, pains, but you know them. You know every single tear in every single person's eye in this room, in Columbia, in Missouri, in the world. You're not content to leave us on this chaotic beach in this world. You are committed to restoring every corner of sin, getting rid of death, of pain, of mourning. Thank you that you know what it's like to have tears. Jesus, you had tears and you know them. God, help us to endure. Strengthen us wherever we are at. Help us to reach, yearn, long for tomorrow when you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's in Jesus' name we pray.